hello everybody and welcome to the latest Mark Leverage podcast, this one being for September 2018. Now, as most of you know, I'm the co-owner and editor of Magic Scene magazine. And if you get the current issue, the September issue, issue number 82, you'll find in there an article all about Noel Britton's Bizarre Bath Comedy Walk. And if you haven't ever witnessed this show, I have to tell you, it is absolutely superb. My friend Paul Prager and I, uh, Paul lives uh, in Bristol and I'm down in Exeter. And we had to get up to the uh, the Georgian and Roman city of Bath because that's where the, the bizarre Bath comedy walk takes place. And uh, so we went together and it was a fantastic evening. Paul has been on a couple of occasions before. Not He hasn't been for a while, but um, he has been to it before. And he said afterwards it was every bit as good as it had been on previous occasions. And what was really interesting about it was that Noel has created um, a, what I'm, I guess must be a, an almost unique presentation in which he's taken an, a tightly scripted and very unusual and original show and basically put it into the streets of Bath. It's in the guise of a walk and a group of people who've paid to see the show, he takes them around the streets of Bath and does a little bit of history of Bath itself, because it's a very famous place, of course, Bath, and has a very long and distinguished history. So he does a little bit of the history, but as the blurb for the show says, it's more hysterical than historical, which I think is a wonderful little catchphrase. And it really is hysterical. Noel is a fantastic worker of a crowd, his roots come right, go right back from when he was a student to when he was busking in the streets of Bath. And I think he probably thought to himself, well, I could carry on doing this forever, but, you know, this is hard work. What would be better would be, because he, he liked the idea of doing something outside, was to put on a more tightly scripted show, but make it look like it was fairly ad lib and off the cuff. And he's really succeeded. It it first um, started way back in 1992, and it's been going every every year since. And amazingly, it's actually available seven days a week for a season that stretches from roughly from May to October. Um, when Paul and I went, there was a crowd of about 60 plus people, and these people were all came from all over the place. There were a few local people. Uh, people, other people from the UK like us who travelled a bit or, or who happened to be just visiting Bath for a holiday. But there were also overseas people. There were some Australians and there were some Norwegians and even some from India. So it's quite a mixed bag. And despite this fact, um, Noel is such an experienced and such a good performer. He managed w- literally within minutes to get the whole of the audience on his side and to keep them engaged for over an hour, well over an hour and a half of bizarre comedy. I won't go into details of what actually happens in the show because if you decide that you're ever near Bath or you decide to go and see the show, and if you're near Bath, you should go and see the show because you'll love it. But to suffice to say, I don't want to give, you the, give away the, the, the secrets of it, but to suffice to say that it is full of surprises, um, both sort of visual surprises, magical surprises, but it just other things which appear to be completely ad-libbed, um, but which, because Noel has been doing it for so long, 
he knows certain things may happen or certain things always happen as he's doing the walk and so he can spontaneously in inverted commas respond to these things and he also there are some true ad ad libs in the sense that he some people who you know while he's doing a part of his show come out of a pub or something and walk past and, and he'll have a little quick bit of interplay with them they don't know him they're not part of the show but he's he's very good at extracting fun just from some comments and a bit of byplay. So it's tremendously entertaining. And I was full of admiration, not just for the how good the show is um, in terms of the material, both verbal and visual, uh, and the concept of the whole thing, but also the way that Noel manages the situation. I mean, he told me that um, some nights, of course, it's more difficult than others. The night that we went, it was a pleasant summer's evening, and by the time we'd finished the walk at about a quarter to ten, it was dark. But for the three quarters of it, it was it was light. Whereas as the season goes on, of course, as the nights draw in, more and more of it, because it doesn't start until eight o'clock in the evening, more and more of it takes place in the dark. But um, nevertheless, he's controlling the situation around him, and particularly at weekends when, you know, Bath is a city that's, that's busy, it's full of tourists, and uh, a lot of stuff goes on around the, the bars and that of late Friday and Saturday nights. And he has to deal with that. He has to deal with the distractions, perhaps people who are, are trying to interfere with his show. Um, and he's very, very good at getting the audience who have paid to see the show on his side and, and almost kind of act on his behalf to get rid of unwanted um, observers. And on what on the uh, on the evening that we went, this did actually happen. A couple of people who hadn't paid to see the show saw something happening, and naturally assumed because quite often there's stuff for free that's you know buskers going on in town, and it looked probably a bit like that. And Noel had got all of us to do something which would put them off and make them go away, and he instantly clicked into this, and we all played along, and it did in, indeed get rid of the two people. But it was so funny to be, and, it, and it, it sort of created a sense of camaraderie with the performer, with Noel, because we felt we were on his side. It was us, us, our little group against the world, as it were, uh, and that in, increased the enjoyment. I think that everybody felt as they went round uh, and watched his show. Some of the lines that he used were stock lines, but he delivered them very well. Others were very original. The situations that he created, a couple of them are totally unique and couldn't be done really anywhere else except in a place like Bath. And and I, I really would, as I say, recommend that you go and see the show. Even for magicians like us, we th- I, I actually said in that it was the first time that I had laughed almost without stopping for an hour and a half. You know, it was and obviously as magicians, you've heard a lot of the lines before, but the way he delivered them and the interaction with the spectators just created this laughter roll. And you just you just keep laughing and it's it's great entertainment. So well done to Noel. It's a it was a fantastic experience and Paul and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And as I say, if you're anywhere near Bath in the right sort of part of the season, then do go and support Noel and uh, spend an hour and a half in his company, you really won't regret it. Now, the fact that you're listening to this podcast probably means that you're a magician. That's the most likely scenario. Otherwise, why are you listening? And whether you're a semi-pro, a full-time pro, or just an interested amateur, 
the fact that you are a magician uh, has some advantages and some disadvantages. And I, I was thinking about this the other day that there are some things that are great about being known as a magician and there are some other things that really aren't so great. And once I realised that the, these two things kind of existed, I started to think, well, what are the best things? What are the worst things about being an entertainer who does magic? Well, so I'm going to suggest to you now one or two things. First of all, starting with what's the best things of being a magician. These are not in any particular order. But the first thing is that I think being a magician, when you tell somebody that you're a magician, in most contexts, this makes you A, very interesting, and B, very memorable. And I find this particularly useful when I'm doing business networking events. Uh, this is where I am probably the only magician in the room. Everybody else in the room is representing all different types of businesses. And we're all networking with each other. Usually, in my case, the ones I go to, we it's over a, a two-course meal at a lunchtime. But everybody is pitching to everybody else about what they do and making connections and trying to, to get and do business for everybody else in the room. And... For people like, let's say, I don't know, insurance agents or accountants or lawyers, those sort of people, they often actually start their little spiel with, um, well, I'm sorry, this is a bit boring, but I'm a lawyer or whatever. And the opposite is true of me, of course, because I'm the magician and everybody's really interested and often delighted that I'm on their table because I'm the magician and therefore way more interesting, apparently, than any of the others are ever likely to be. So that makes you very memorable. And that's a very powerful thing when you're in competition with lots of other businesses. The, the next thing is that usually when we work as magicians, it's a party. How many jobs are there? There aren't that many. There are a few, but there aren't that many where you are actually going to a party, going to a happy occasion, whether it's a wedding or a birthday or an anniversary or whatever it might be, a children's party. You're going along to help the people have a great time. You know, you're not going along to just serve them a meal or drinks or something like that. You're actually going to go along and create laughter and surprise and hopefully happiness. Wow, what a great privilege that is to be able to do that. And I think that's a wonderful part of our job that we get to go to so many great events. Next thing is... Um, what an interesting way it is, if you earn money from magic, what an interesting way it is to actually earn money. Um, because there are no two days, in other words, no two gigs that are entirely the same. Even if you're working the same venue, the people within that venue, perhaps you've got a residency somewhere, then the people will be different. You'll get one or two sets of regulars, perhaps, but everybody else will be different. And of course, they're, why they're there, whether they're there for a special event or just out for a meal or whatever it is, makes them feel differently on the night. And when you come along, you add to their evening, hopefully in a positive way. So it's a really interesting thing for you as you chat with people, if you're a close-up magician and you, you discover why they're having this party or why they're at that table having a meal. And that's very interesting too. And... The fourth thing is it provides us, when we're magicians, with a very clear identity. Now, again, going back to the networking thing that I mentioned before, one of the great things about um, the networking thing is that I am known as the magician. So even if people can't remember my name, 
they will remember that, I, oh yeah, you're the magician. It's a very clear and easy to remember and defining almost pigeonhole that people can put you in. And as I said at the beginning about um, being magician is memorable. Uh, I think this this clear identity of who you are. And I often say to people that, that really it's not so much a job. It's a, almost a way of life that you never really stop being the magician in other people's eyes. You're just a magician from the minute you get up in the morning to the minute you go to bed at night. That's who you are. It's more than a job. It's an actual identity. So those are some of the good things. Some of the bad things, some of the worst things. Well, always feeling that you have to prove yourself. Oh, you're a magician, eh? Go on and show us a trick. And it and often that is said to us, isn't it? Not so much because they want to see a trick, although often it, it can be just that, but also because where well, you say you're a magician, go on and prove it. You you show me something that fools me, and then I'll decide whether you're a magician or not. Some people can be slightly confrontational, I feel, when they find out you're a magician. They want you to prove yourself, which you know can or may not be to your taste. Next thing is you can't have a quiet when you're doing shows. You can't have a quiet day at the office, can you? If somebody who works in an office happens to have gone out the night before and perhaps had a little bit too much to drink, they might still come in to work the next day and they just keep their head down and they just get on with their job and they don't have to be the life and soul of the party. Not so for us. Every time we go out to work, because we're the entertainer, we have to be up for it. We have to be pumped. We have to be the life and soul of the party. And even if you're feeling slightly under the weather or you're tired or you've had a really bad day up to that point, you still have to get over that and perform and turn on your performing side and do the business because that is what you're paid for. Next really annoying thing is trying to find venues. Um, Pre-satnav days, it was even worse. You used to get sometimes people would give you directions to some farm that's out in the middle. In my case, in the middle of Devon, and it only takes them to say left when they meant right, and you are so lost. And even with satnavs, they get you, especially when it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's fine in cities and towns, but when you're out in the countryside, you'll know what it's like. You you turn up and you you're driving along some country road and it says you have reached your destination and all you've got are hedges going down and empty fields. You think, oh no, so it's here somewhere roughly, but but where? So finding venues and getting there on time, despite all the vagaries of traffic delays these days, that's not a great side of the business. And I suppose finally, and this is only a minor irk, but um, is having to put up with for years and years and years when you've been in magic a long time, the the funny, in inverted commas, things that people say when they find out you're a magician, the can you make my wife disappear type of comment. Hard not to get irritated sometimes by those because we've heard them so many times. But it's the things that people say. It's their way of trying to interact with you, I guess. And of them trying to feel that, um, that they're connecting with you at a level that they think you're going to be funny because you're an entertainer. So they'll be funny too. So there are some, some of the best and some of the worst parts of being an entertainer. I'm sure you would have your own list. When you're first starting out in magic as a performer and you you want to get some experience, it's sometimes quite hard to know how to get that performing time under your belt, as it were. Because the number of opportunities to work at all 
uh, other than for perhaps friends or family or something like that, aren't always um, too obvious. It's, it can be quite hard to find things. And one of the things that I was very fortunate to be involved with in my early days was something that we used to call the school magic show. This was um, where three of us, and it was different people at different times, but um, for the longest period, it was myself, Stuart Bowie and Tony Griffith. And we used to get bookings in schools where we would do a split on the takings from the ticket price that people paid to come in. Uh, I think it was a 50-50 split and the school got 50% for their for their funds, for the PTA usually, uh, and, and we pocketed the rest. And what it would basically be, it was in schools, so we would set up three classrooms as three performing areas. And what would happen is all the people would arrive, they would go into the main school hall, there would be perhaps some refreshments, we would come out and we would introduce ourselves to everybody and give a little talk about uh, who we were and what was going to happen for the evening. And then everybody was given uh, a coloured ticket when they came in and the three different colours were represented by the three different rooms that we'd set up as showrooms. So people would then, once we'd done our introductions, the people would go off into their room, they would sit down and there was a table at the front with a close-up mat on it. And we would, all three of us, would each of us would go into a room and we would perform a 20-minute show all at the same time at the end of 20 minutes we would all we would come out of the rooms and uh, the spectators would stay where they were we would do a quick reset not that we really needed much but a quick reset then we would all go into a different room and do our show again for the second audience and then come out and then we'd each go and do the final 20 minute show for the last set of audience but ones we hadn't seen thus far then everybody would come out go back into the hall and they'd usually have i don't know prize drawers and uh, more refreshments and and we used to go out and we used to mix and mingle and chat with people and have a cup of tea as well and what was so great about this apart from the fact that um, the audiences when they came because it was in a school they had pretty low expectations of how good this magic show was going to be and, and we know this because a lot of people used to say to us well I didn't expect much when I came tonight I just came to support the school but you were really good and there was that tone of you were really good, like they were very surprised that something of such a, a high standard went took place in a classroom in the school. And and so people were pleasantly surprised and got tremendous value for money. But from our perspective, what was great about it, although we didn't make a great deal of money out of it, and that was really never the aim, it gave us a fantastic opportunity with a nice, tame, uh, non sort of judgmental audience to try out tricks to put a show together because often the 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 um, ability to do let's say a 20 minute performance is rare because most of the time most commercial magic close-up magic tends to be of course tables or or mix and mingle type of events where you're just doing a few minutes at a time there aren't so many opportunities to do a slightly longer show and this gave us the opportunity to do that but not only that to do the same act three times uh, one after the other in an evening so if you had a new trick and i used to do this all the time because i, I was in the early days of marketing uh, magic through mark leverage magic so if i had a new trick that i wanted to road test a couple of couple of shows and i could put it in the middle of my set somewhere and do it 
let's say over two different venues six times and it would give me a very good idea with this type of audience about up to about 30 people of how the trick went over and because of this I was able to change patter I was able to develop the plot a bit more perhaps change the method maybe if it wasn't working and to refine the the tricks but in front of an audience where if it went slightly wrong it didn't matter too much because they hadn't paid an arm and a leg to come and see a professional show they'd come to the school to see as I said something that they didn't have great expectations about so we did it for several years and I know when I moved away from the area the other two um, then got another magician in and they continued doing them and they, we really enjoyed them and it was also quite nice because the three of us would go to the venue together and of course we would chat um, and it was quite sociable from our point of view because most of the time as we all know when you perform you're performing normally on your own whereas this we are having a common experience all three of us performed for the same audience uh, during the course of the evenings we were able to talk about our experiences and discuss tricks and so on and it was a tremendous amount of fun I really used to in, enjoy those those days and and they were definitely a very good way to get experience when performing I'd like to talk to you now about something that to be honest with you I've got a little bit of a bee in my bonnet about what I'm going to express now is not a popular opinion with others and there are many people who are going to disagree completely probably with what I'm about to say but I still want to say it anyway even if it clashes with with what most people would think or possibly even experience and, and it's all to do with social media now social media in all its many forms has been around for quite a long time now and magicians have been as I would see it slightly brainwashed into thinking that it is the panacea for all marketing ills in other words that if you spend a lot of time doing posts on Facebook and keeping your Twitter account lively uh, and things like this that you will reap the benefits you will create lots of contacts and those contacts will turn into shows and I'm not sure that's true Social media is a bright, shiny object that is very appealing. There are a lot of people out there who believe in it passionately. But I think the confusion comes here is who these people are and why they are passionate about it. Some of the most passionate people I've heard talk about social media are people who give help to other people with their social media accounts. Well, they would say it's great, wouldn't they? Because that's what their business is. I mean, I'm not saying they don't genuinely believe it is great, but nevertheless, they do have a vested interest. Now, I'm not saying that all social media is rubbish and doesn't have a place. Of course it does. In, in circumstances, particularly, I think in social circumstances where groups of people want to keep in contact, clubs want to create closed Facebook groups so they can communicate with each other. I think it's fabulous. Uh, and I, I would, I'm sure that magic has been... Um, in, increasingly helped by people being able to contact each other through social media. But what I'm actually talking about here specifically is to do with whether it creates shows. And I don't mean taking Facebook ads. That's not what I mean. I mean just having a Facebook page on which you post. I think they are vanity projects. If they're not just vanity projects, they are actually a time suck. 
You can spend hours and hours and hours posting stuff on Facebook. How many people who then go on to book you have actually read any of it? They might, but how many? I'm not convinced that all the many, many hours that are required to really make an impression with social media, whether that ever gives you a justifiable return. Now, I'm sure there are people out there who say, oh, yes, it does. And it might depend on what field you're in. I mean, I have gradually been shutting down my Facebook. I've shut down Facebook completely, but my social media things. The only one I've kept on, really, is LinkedIn. And that's simply because there are a lot of business contacts that I have on there that I am interested in keeping in contact with. So for me, that one works. I don't post on it very much, but it's there as a form, almost like a database of local businesses. But in every other way, the other social media stuff, is it really doing magicians any good? Are you really getting more bookings? I could talk about this a lot more, but I'm going to stop there. But if you've got a view on that, let me know. Last month, my wife, Roz, and I celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary. We actually met at Bristol University when we were students. And when we finished our four-year languages degrees, we got married that the summer after we'd finished university. So 1978, we tied the knot. And here we are 40 years later and we're still together, which is, which is fabulous, I think. We don't, we're not really party people, Ros and I. We, we don't go to a lot of parties. We're not particularly interested in parties as such, which is odd for somebody like me who entertains at parties. But actually having a party is not a natural fit, perhaps. But when there's something special like this, and we've done this with one or two of our other key anniversaries, such as the 25th and things like that, then it seems like it's kind of fun to get your friends and close uh, family around and have a party. And as part of this, we wanted to, um, when we had our party last month, we, we wanted to have a little bit of entertainment. And one of the things that we, uh, well, a couple of things actually that we decided to, to do was, one was um, to book a casino roulette table, because that's always fun to have. And um, obviously I've worked lots of events where they are and pe people love them. Uh, and also a bit old fashioned now, but we kind of like the old sumo suits where you put a big fat suit on and you have a wrestling match. Uh, we just thought we'd get these so my wife said I'll do it so she made some inquiries and her experience of getting prices and dealing with suppliers of these things was really telling because when we as magicians uh, when we do our publicity and so on and we get an inquiry we don't know quite what it's like for the necessarily for the person on the other end of the inquiry the one who's actually the potential booker how we deal with them and how important that is and the huge variety of responses that my wife got to her inquiries some people didn't come back to her at all and she said to me do these people not want any business if they can't do it just say you can't do the date why not bother to even respond at all others responded very slowly or didn't give the information they were asked for, or when they you spoke to them on the phone, they were didn't appear particularly interested in your in your event, or who tried to perhaps upsell you to things that quite aggressive well not aggressively, but quite persuasively to upsell you to things that you had you really didn't want and it became a distraction 
for you getting the information that you did want. All these things that she came across and she was relaying them to me. And I thought, this is fascinating. This is like an, a, an exercise in a lot of the time in what not to do. She also had some good examples, and that's why we ended up booking some people, but a very, very good service where people were very efficient. They came back quickly. Their quote, incidentally, the quotes were interesting, how widely they varied. And what, although we had no idea what to expect for that would be a fee for these particular things, some we felt were better value than others. And our perception was not always to do just with the amount of money that we were being asked to pay, but what the person appeared to be offering for that money, the level of service, the efficiency, the, the interest that the person was showing on the other end of the phone for our event, how that person tried was trying to f make sure that everything would fit in with what we wanted to do, actually asking us what we wanted to do in our event, what else we were having. Um, talking about how it would all work so we could put a picture in our minds of how it would be. All of these things, I think, well, that is an object lesson in what to do and what not to do. And very interesting because we should all actually try and book some stuff occasionally just simply for that experience so that we know what we must sound like when we deal with our potential clients too. Well, there we are. That's the September 2018 podcast, all done and dusted. Thank you ever so much for, for listening. I hope that you've uh, enjoyed the topics that I've touched on this time, and I look forward to seeing you next month for some more. Bye for now.